during the summers through college, I worked construction. And like anybody who works construction, I had a number of different tools that were my favorites. I had a particular screwdriver with just the right handle that I think my father had given me and who knows where he had found it and used it. I had a special set of pliers that could get to just the right little place. And especially when it was early on the site, I had a plumb line. Today's first scripture reading talks about a plumb line, but I wonder how many people really know what one is. The scripture gives a context of what it is, so it's clear that a plumb line is something that's used uh, in measuring and seeing if something is plumb or vertically straight or perpendicular. A plumb line can be as simple as a string with a rock on it. We could toss a plumb line over the side of the pulpit and we could tell how plumb or how perpendicular, how straight the pulpit is. Or, as I've recently learned, a plumb line can be as fancy as the Leica L2P2, described as an all-in-one cross-line and pointer laser tool with 180-degree horizontal and vertical lines plus four laser points all calibrated to perfect 90-degree angles. It is the Swiss army of laser levels. If you didn't know what a plumb line was before you came to church today, now you know, and you probably know much more than you ever intended to know. But this is the easy part, talking about a plumb line that's actual, that's physical, that we could put in our pockets and and whip out and use quickly. The more challenging plumb line is the one that God uses, because it's, it's we who can so easily fall out of where we ought to be, where we want to be. It's we who can so easily get out of proper proportion, out of right relationship with God and with one another. In that first scripture reading, God has the prophet Amos use the image of a plumb line as a warning to God's people To say, I made you, and I love you, and I see you. Nothing changes that. It's as though God tells God's people that even if you become like little children and you you cover your eyes and pretend God can't see you, God says, I see you. I'm still here. I see you, and I'm waiting for you to come back to me. Me, your first love. In the letter to the Ephesians, our second reading, Paul, or if it it isn't Paul, a writer who writes in the name and style of Paul, reminds the faithful in Ephesus that we are all God's adopted children. Each one of us has been chosen, especially. God has chosen us each, and even better, God has given us a built-in plumb line. It's inside of us. It's a way to to orient us again and turn us back into God's presence. As Ephesians explains it, with all wisdom and insight, God has made us known to the mystery of his will. And that will involves Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so we're made by God for love. And we're made in such a way that we have this internal plumb line that 
helps us to line up with Christ and to line up with a Christly way of living and loving. But then the world gets in the way. The gospel shows that very clearly. We could spend um, a week, a month of Sundays, looking at all the various characters in today's gospel and and looking at at how each one either does or doesn't have some sense of an internal plumb line. We can see the extremes easily enough. There's, there's John the Baptist at one extreme who's, who's right with God, who's absolutely right with God. And then at the other extreme is King Herod. Herod is so wishy-washy, there's not even anything in Herod to hang a plumb line on. Herod has a backbone of jelly if he has one at all. Herod is whoever he needs to be in order to please whoever happens to be in front of him at the moment. Which is to say, Herod is no thing. He is a cipher, moved by the wishes of anyone and everyone. He's so empty that in Herod, evil finds a happy and ready home. We read that Herod admired John. He enjoyed listening to him. He thought there was something to what John was saying. He feared John in the great language of the Bible. So Herod at least had a sort of apprehension that there was something to John that needed to be paid attention to. Herod could listen, but he didn't have the backbone to really hear, much less to believe and to act on what John was saying. We know the story. Herod gives himself a big birthday bash and wants to please everybody there. His family, his courtiers, his officers, his guests. And because he so grandly promises his daughter anything she wants, and he does it in front of everybody, then later he feels like he has to follow through with what he said, even though following through means doing her mother's dirty work. If Herod had any sort of internal plumb line, he would have recognized that maybe he'd had a little too much to drink. Maybe he'd gotten a little too full of himself. And so Herod could have simply looked around him and said, you know, all this excitement has gotten to me. It's gone to my head. I've changed my mind. He's the king, after all. He could do whatever he wanted. Except he's no king over other people's opinions. Herod is fully enslaved to what others think. He's enslaved to pleasing others. And so he orders John to be killed. John the Baptist spent his life calling people to pay attention to the plumb line of God. Find the plumb line in yourself, John says. Get right with God. Get right with those around you. And so John the Baptist's question sort of comes to each of us today. How's your plumb line? Do we look and listen for the plumb line that God has given each one of us? Do we look at Christ as an example and author of what a life of love can look like, should look like? Or are we a little like King Herod? easily swayed and quick to go with the crowd. The extent to which we might go with the crowd 
the extent to which we may or may not be aware of our internal plumb line has been very much in the air for some time now with events in Ferguson and Baltimore and Charleston. We're asked, we ask ourselves, what would we have done? Where would we be? Where are we now? And then closer at home, all too close to home, since July 4th and the murder of a young man in the metro on a subway car with people standing around watching, horrified but frozen, the question comes up, what would we do? Would we be able to do anything? Psychologists do a number of studies on this sort of thing. They've come up with what they call the bystander effect. It's an interesting idea. The studies suggest that the fewer the witnesses when there's a crime or an awful event, the fewer the people there, the more likely it is that someone will act. It's counterintuitive to me. And yet, as the crowd grows larger, what they call pluralistic ignorance sets in. It's that subconscious thing where we begin to look around us for cues. What are other people thinking? What's right in this situation? It's pluralistic ignorance that can keep us frozen in our tracks, blind and oblivious to the plumb lines that are in each one of us. What the psychologists do can help us explain why that happens, but But I think we need Christ to move us out of that. We need images of Christ in our own day to show us what it looks like to act and to be for God. In just a few minutes, the choir will sing a beautiful anthem called Hope for Resolution. It was written to celebrate the inauguration of the presidency of Nelson Mandela, that man who stood for justice and for what was right in the face of anything and everything that would beat him down, imprison him, or try to convince him to cave in one way or the other. What's especially interesting about Mandela is his plumb line was not even particularly religious. If you look back at at interviews with him, when people asked him about his beliefs, he was very cagey. He was able to draw from all sources of truth and wisdom and love and come up with his own understanding. Whatever it was, however he thought of it, it was steady and sure and was that plumb line almost of steel that was in tune with God's dream for justice and equality. Friends, the collect of the day, that prayer we began our worship with, Praise that we might perceive and know the things we ought to do and might have the grace and power faithfully to do them. What a prayer that is. With the help of the Holy Scriptures, the sacraments, the church, one another, may we be plumbed to a liberating Lord Christ who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.